Well, hey, everyone. This is Brian Hancock, and we're with the Wealth Investment Network podcast. I'm here today with Mark Puzdrak from Puzdrak CPA. How you doing, Mark? Hey, Brian. How you doing? Oh, man. Things are great. Things are great. We're here today to talk about the very sexy topic of taxes, and specifically about taxes as limited partners care about them. So I know you and I were chatting a little bit earlier, Mark, but how should people think about taxes that are looking to invest passively in, in deals of sponsors? Is that Should they leave with the tax discussion or kind of what are your thoughts about that? Well, Brian, first, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Um, as far as the taxes go for limited partner uh, investor in a real estate deal, um, most of the time, the limited partners, or at least new limited partners to real estate deals are going to be in there. The thing that's bringing them to the table might be the depreciation allocation. And a couple things to remember about that. If you are a limited partner, um, going to get a K-1 from this investment, and that K-1 is going to throw off usually a loss. It's the depreciation for real estate that's going to throw it into a loss. That loss is going to be allocated to you on the K-1, but whether or not you can take that loss on your personal tax return is really going to depend upon other items that you have going on on the personal tax return. All real estate is passive by nature. So an LP investor or a money investor in a real estate deal is probably going to be a passive investor. And it's going to be a passive loss and passive losses can only be offset with passive income. So even though you're allocated this loss, um, you may or may not be able to utilize that loss on your personal tax return when you go to file. Now, it doesn't go away, um, but it does carry over until you have, you know, either a sale of the project or some sort of passive income to shelter that loss. So leading with the tax part of it is not really um, what I would say would be in the first position for an LP investor, at least I hope not anyway. Um, it would probably be for appreciation of the, of the investment part of it um, and the return on capital um, and also I guess a return of capital, you know, how long is that gonna take? So there are some economics to the deal that we wanna look at more than just taxes but no that's a good question yeah and i mean I, I talk to people about this a lot i mean the goal should be maximum after tax profits and not minimum taxes and so can you talk a little bit about how you've seen people think about this and the tax does the tax tail wag the dog a lot and some of the conversations that you have with with your clients you know for i would say new limited partner investors, um, money investors, you know, that are maybe just new to the real estate investing. Um, typically that's the first thing that they think of, uh, is the taxes, the tax consequences. And I think that that's oftentimes how the investment might be sold, but for, for, as you progress down the road of a investor, I really think that sort of the focus starts to shift onto, okay, well, you know, what's my preferred return, you know, on this money? What am I, what is my pref rate, you know, that I'm going to get? When am I going to get it? When am I going to get my capital back? Um, and once I do get that capital back, you know, how can I redeploy it again? And that should really be the focus 
Um, in my opinion, when you're a limited partner money investor is what is the return on this money? How soon can I get my money back? And when can I deploy that capital again? And like I said, you know, most of the time, that's the migration or the progression, you know, that an investor will go through. So we don't want the tax tail to wag the dog, you know, in, in, in any really sense of the word, we're really looking for an appreciation of a real estate investment and a return of your capital. Yeah. So I know we, we talked about this a little bit earlier and I, I've been doing real estate deals for like 20 years, but I still am mystified by taxes. The, the, you know, I send the thing in and, and you do all the, the 15 linear regression analyses or whatever you do to it. And then I hope at the end of the day that they don't throw me in jail afterwards because I don't, I don't really understand it entirely. Um, but I really kind of want to land this point. Um, passive losses go with passive gains and active losses go with active gains. So for what we're talking about here, most of what, or I guess all of these investments, if you're a passive investor, by definition, if you get in depreciation benefit, you're getting passive losses. So what sort of situations have you seen with your clients where they actually have passive gains that that you they would be able to avail themselves or take advantage of the depreciation in years before the reversion cash flow before the exit of the project what what circumstances have you seen where that actually does happen right and right when you say send it in you know to you you mean you know when someone sends it into their tax preparer um but as far as investors go, uh, passive income investments, again, you can be a money investor or an LP investor in some, some other type of investment. It doesn't necessarily have to be real estate. But if someone has a diversified portfolio and they are a money investor or an LP investor in other deals that, that typically will throw off income, then and those can be any types of investments. You know, it could be a restaurant, you know, it could be a um, software company, some, something where, you know, it's a partnership or pass-through entity um, that's, uh, you know, throwing off income for them to be able to um, sort of shelter these losses that are coming from the uh, real estate investment that they're currently invested in. So, but typically, in the typical cases that I've seen, um, real estate investors tend to only invest in real estate. Uh, that's their big thing. Uh, that's what they know. That's what they want to do. That's where they want to deploy their capital. And they may not be, you know, on the diversification diversification scale like some other investors are. And so, typically, those losses will just sort of accumulate until. You know, either the project sells or, you know, again, that, that there's some other passive income that that comes along. Um, but typically an LP investor or money investor in real estate, that's that's their singular focus. Right. Right. And so most a lot of these projects that are syndicated deals are typically, you know, I don't know, three to seven year deals, something like that. Sometimes it's an apartment reposition or a development project or 
um, something of that nature where a lot of capital needs to be accumulated. And the way that the sponsor does it is they they sell securities interest in the project to you know a handful or maybe more than a handful in some cases of limited partners. Um, so each one of those limited partners is, you know, there's a capital accounting procedure and then they're allocated some pro rata portion of the the losses or the paper losses for depreciation. So I think the point you're trying to make is even if they have rental portfolio properties, um, depending on how they're capitalized, it's it might be that they're not really throwing off income because on paper from a, a tax point of view, that there's depreciation losses there as well. So can you maybe talk through that just a little bit? Sure. So the goal of any real estate project, hopefully is to cash flow at least a dollar, you know, with, with the rents and the expenses. Um, that's number one. And then below that line, you know, I, I would say is where the depreciation comes in. That's what pushes most, you know, investors into a loss. And so whether, but that's a, on a real estate project, deal by deal basis. Now, as the project matures, um, rents are maybe, you know, increased, especially if you live here in Austin, um, you know, maybe the mortgage interest, you know, continues to go down each year and you don't refinance or something of that nature, you know, then maybe the project will turn cash flow positive. But for a large part of the time, it's probably going to be, you know, in the negative and it's because of that depreciation. And so you're allocated that depreciation usually based on your percentage interest in the partnership, what you, you know, what you own, that's how it gets allocated. Um, but allocation, you know, of losses and being able to take those losses are, are two different things. And, you know, a lot of times there's, you know, there can be some mystery around that again, especially for, for new investors that are trying to get in, you know, or, or someone comes to them with a good real estate deal or one of their friends or, or something of that nature uh, that tries to get them to invest in this project. Um, that's usually, uh, you know, what I've seen people lead with is the depreciation and the losses and, and taxes or whatever. But really what we want people to think about is, you know, a, a holistic approach to it and, and more of a, you know, a bigger picture look at it um, to look at things that are other, you know, just beyond the taxes. That's what we try to get them to focus on. Right. Right. Well, so, I mean, that's for a lot of these projects, five to seven years in, you know, if, if I've been sold on it and, you know, I'm already in one of these things, um, how do you see that? I mean, you're sitting there doing people's books. So what do you see happen a lot is like they were hoping for, this depreciation loss each year and then they don't get it and it's in this a certain section of their tax return and are they aggravated about it or like what what typically happens when you kind of talk somebody through this after they've invested good question um typically if someone goes in and they were sold on you know being able to take these losses or you know this depreciation loss or something of that nature then and that was the only aspect that was discussed, then yes, there can be a misalignment of expectations, um, which leads to, you know, maybe a crucial conversation here and there. Uh, but typically the syndicators or the person putting the deal together will, we'll, especially for new investors, will explain the benefits of the preferred return and the return of capital. And there will be enough information in there for, for the person just to see beyond the tax part of it. So very rarely, what I say, do do investors, you know, 
just get their K-1, put it onto their return, not see the actual, you know, losses from this depreciation and then be very upset because in the material, you know, there's going to be more than just the, the tax consequences or the tax pieces. That's typically when I would say most of the clients reach out or, or most people will reach out and, and ask for further clarification. And I think that the people putting the deal together, the syndicators or whatever, do a pretty good job of explaining it. Plus, most of, you know, you got to be an accredited investor, too. So, you know, you, you, you've had some you know, you're, you're a little bit more savvy than, than the average person, or at least you're supposed to be anyway, I guess. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's not as detrimental as, as one would think. Um, and, but yes, does it happen? But I would say rarely to, to occasionally, um, it's definitely not the norm. Yeah. I mean, I guess pivoting away from the tax discussion a little bit, you, you see people's actual deals, like the, the returns, you know, can you talk a little bit about, we, we talked about this before we got on the air, but, you know, how much of what typically drives the return structure is from cash flows year to year? How much of it is from the reversion cash flow on the exit or the, the refinance? Um, and what component of it is from, you know, the, the whatever the other incremental component is, is from taxes, just on a percentage basis. Do you have any, any sense for that? Um, I would say that, you know, again, majority of it is going to be for uh, return of capital you know how soon will you get that capital back and and how much are you going to receive for that capital investment now you're going to get a preferred return usually um but again for a majority of these deals it's about appreciation it's about we're going to sell this property you know this is what we think it's going to be worth uh this is what we're going to do this is where we think we can escalate the rents you know, these are the types of things that, that I really think the syndicators try to make sure that the investors understand, because those are the things that that they can control. You know, they they can't necessarily they have a little bit more control over. Hopefully, you know, um, it's not always the case, but I would say a large majority, you know, is return of capital, then preferred return. You know, I would say a second taxes. I think would be you know, a, a little bit less, but most of the syndicators that have been doing this for a while will try to explain all, all facets of it and really lead with the best, you know, possible um, information, I would say, to, to for the person to, to invest. Have I seen a lot of deals um, and a lot of deal structures? Yes. Um, do we have to explain how the deal structure is going to work, like some of the parameters, you know, in the, you know, partnership agreement. Yes, that that kind of language and, and how the waterfall allocations work can, you know, who gets paid back when, um, if there is a refinance, you know, who's in the first position to get money, second, third, and, and, you know, if there is a sale, what gets paid first, second, third. And so a lot of times I think the investors, and again, newer investors, there is a lot of information and you can't help if the investor only hears depreciation losses, you know, like, you know, but you try to make sure that you make it clear to them that, you know, there's, there's more going on here than just the depreciation or whatever, but depreciation as a concept overall is very confusing, uh, especially because, 
most people think of real estate as an appreciating asset, you know, at least again, here in Austin anyway, it seems to be. Um, and so when you say to a client that the IRS considers this a depreciating asset, they think of it like it just doesn't compute in their mind because in, in their terms, a depreciating asset would be like your car, you know, not, not necessarily real estate. So you have to explain just that overall concept to them that there's a useful life. According to the IRS, this only exists in IRS land. You know, this is not real life and real life that's going to appreciate in, in value. But like I said, as investors kind of migrate down the path of, of, you know, becoming more and more savvy about real estate investments, they, everybody starts to understand how the game is played and, and how this is supposed to work out. I will say that by and large, um, LP investors that invest in one deal and have a good experience tend to, or very likely to invest in another deal. So again, the the syndicator is going to uh, again lead with hey you know i'm going to have maybe another deal or i'm going to get you this your capital back once once the investor gets their capital back back then they can deploy it in the syndicator's next deal you know so the syndicator definitely wants to keep the lps happy wants to keep them you know payment schedule on time and on balance you know so that they have the money to then invest in the next deal because it's easier for the syndicator to kind of go back to the same well rather than, you know, maybe go out and, and try to find new people or whatever that for that reason alone, you know, I would say, or for that being the main reason is where I see, um, you know, syndicators really trying to explain all facets of this because they don't want to have any misalignment of expectations or anything like that. Right. Okay. I mean, can you talk a little bit about recapture? And this concept, is the, the, uh, this has always been a little bit of a foreign thing for me. So the IRS giveth and then they taketh away with this recapture at the end. What does that mean? Sure. So depreciation is it's almost like a borrowed expense. I mean, there, there's a recapture of depreciation in the IRS code. And again, it's one of those things that you have to explain to investors as well. Uh, the problem is by the time you get to depreciation recapture, you know, a lot of times investors' heads are already swimming because they're trying to wrap their head around, the, you know, that this thing is a depreciating asset. That's number one. And number two, you have to ex then explain to them that, you know, that the IRS is going to claw this back at a special rate when this project sells. And so it, it can be a little bit confusing, but overall, broad strokes, uh, depreciation recapture basically says if there's a gain, you know, on the sale of this project, which you know, unless this is 2008, you know, then there no will be. Um, but that depreciation is is going to be recaptured, you know, on the bulk of the asset, at least on the building, you know, at 25% tax rate, you know, at a 1250 tax rate, section 1250. Anyway, we don't want to get too far into the codes and, and specifics and all that kind of stuff. But you have to basically say, hey, this gain, you know, some is going to be taxed at long-term capital gains tax rates, and some is going to be you know, at this special depreciation recapture rate, you know, whatever depreciation you took, you know, again, with a, going through the calculations, uh, part of it is going to be uh, carved out for this depreciation recapture. Um, typically, those conversations, you know, should take place, again, all up front, but it shouldn't be the driving, 
you know, out of our hierarchy that that you, we kind of put in place as far as how, you know, what percentage is, is allocated to return of capital, return of capital, you know, taxes and all that kind of stuff, whatever. Um, this part of it would be way down on the list. It, it, it would not be a make or break item, um, in my opinion, for most real estate investors, because the everybody's going to have it. I mean, it's not anything that's, you know, specifically, you know, allocated to just Brian in this deal, you know, every investor is going to have it. And so, you know, we talk about it, we say it's there, you know, but then we kind of move on. So. So Mark, if you were going to invest in somebody else's deal um, passively, what would you look for? What would you look for either in the deal or the sponsor or both? Uh, track record, uh, history, you know, um, I definitely, if it's, this is the first deal that the person's doing and I know them and, and they're my buddy or whatever it is, you know, I, I, the preferred return might be a little bit higher. Um, the, the terms might be a little bit more favorable, you know, to me or whatever, but you know, if it's somebody that's been doing this for 20 years, they have a track record. Um, they've done multiple deals, you know, it's going to be, I have a little bit more comfort. So I would say if you're a new investor, you probably don't want to go, you know, with with somebody that hasn't doesn't have a really good track record. You definitely want to go with somebody that, you know, that, that they have an office, they've got, you know, an investment manager, you know, kind of relation manager person, you know, there. Um, you can go and see some of their projects. You know, maybe I always say that you should invest in what you know for real estate. Uh, you should be able to touch it, see it, you know, drive by it, whatever it is. Um, so hopefully you can see some of their projects as well. Um, for me, I'm looking for, especially the numbers, um, you know, once the pro forma and the, you know, the, the allocation of the yearly costs and, and things like that, you know, I'm also looking for how is the project built? Uh, what kind of materials are they using? Uh, who's going to live there? You know, what type of housing is it? A uh, student housing, you know, might be a little bit different uh, than, you know, if it was, you know, 55 and older, let's say. Um, you know, just different, the climate that we're in, uh, especially with interest rates rising, um, you know, am I making out better, putting my money here than somewhere else? It's really all about deployment of capital um, and what you're going to, you know, receive for that capital. And, and, and what's your risk? What's your downside? How much, you know, could go wrong? Maybe that's outside of your purview, but but I do look at a lot of different things when when clients or people or or someone asks you know us to look at a project or whatever we we try to give them things that maybe they're not thinking about or whatever because that's that's really why they're coming to us. So it's a there's a lot of factors at play, um, and we could be here for a couple hours talking about all those different factors or whatever. But but you know it, but it is fun. Um, you know, to kind of go through and, and look at these different deals, uh, because no two are alike. Yeah, really. Uh, no projects, you know, are alike. Now, the syndicators, one thing that I will mention is that when they set up their deals, they're, they're trying to make sure that they can replicate the same kind of deal because they want to keep that continuity and that familiarity for the for limited partner investors. You know, it's a lot easier to go back to somebody that's invested with you and say, hey, this is going to be just like deal, you know, A or deal B or whatever it is. And, you know, maybe with like a a little bit of a twist, but 
you know, you don't, you don't want to lose that investor. You don't want to change the parameters too much. Um, in, you know, cause they could, you know, decide that this is not where they want to deploy their capital and you, you want to make sure that they deploy their capital with you. So those are a few considerations to take into effect, you know, when you're looking at a deal. Well, thanks so much for the time, Mark. Uh, how do people get a hold of you? Sure. They can go to www.puzdraccpa.com. Uh, if they want to send me an email, they can send it to Mark, M-A-R-K, at puzzdraccpa.com. All right. Well, thanks for your time today. I know we did our best to try and make the, the topic of taxes as sexy as we could, but, you know, can't dress it up too much. Right. I like to say it's more consulting, you know, than, yeah. than taxes or whatever it is. But uh, now I'm with you. I mean, it's uh, there's definitely some concepts in here um, that people should really uh, kind of ferret out, you know, especially if they're a new investor. Um, yeah. A lot of questions, a lot of things to consider. Um, you know, but the goal is to find the project that's right for you and, uh, you know, keep migrating down that road of a real estate investor because it's a, it's a lot of fun. It, the journey can be a lot of fun. So. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, thanks again and, uh, have a nice weekend. All right, brother. You too. See ya. All right. Take care.